Okay, here we go. Thank okay, Boker Tov all. Um, yeah, so uh, just responding to, to your to your question as to uh, the exact nature of uh, of the Torah that was that was given. Um, um, when you talk about when we talk about uh, Torah, we talk about the actual uh, text of Torah. Yes. So um, when we um, when we look at when we look at how uh, the text that we have now, that that text was that the exact uh, you know text that that that, um, that we had that we had at uh, at uh, at Sinai. It was in other words, was Moshe Rabbeinu given that uh, that exact uh, text, or was there or, or, or something different? How did it actually uh, you know play itself play itself out? Yes, because uh, if you talk about the exact text. If we say that the the text that um, that uh, that we get that we have now is ac- the exact text that Moshe Rabbeinu got, you've got some complicated questions to ask. Um, in other words, the historical events that haven't yet taken place and yet are in our text, and um, on you know couldn't have been written you know in the text that Moshe Rabbeinu received um, on on Sinai. So, it's 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 um, it's kind of like a uh, it's a diff, it's a difficult theory to work with. In other words, we we all assume we all assume that uh, you know that that when we say we got Torah at Sinai, it's the exact same text as as we have now. But um, we uh, we we find that that it's not. You know that it's not so easy to explain it that way. You have to uh, you have to really um, work hard at trying to develop a theory. So, um, just for example, like this: when you when you look into the actual text of the Torah, um, so we have a we 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 have different phrases that introduce Hashem speaking to to Moshe Rabbeinu. We have Vaidaber uh, Hashem. You know, El Moshe Leimor, Hashem speaks to speaks to Moshe Rabbeinu, but 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 we have specifically by Daber Hashem El Moshe Bahar Sinai Leimor, Hashem spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu at Sinai. That's that, that's a classic uh, opening of how one of the parashiot or number of sections open. So Hashem speaks to Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, Bahar Sinai. Then you have Hashem speaking to Moshe Rabbeinu by Daber Hashem. Eilav, Hashem speaks to Moshe, to him, you know, from a from a place called the Oil Moed, which is the Holy of Holies of the, of the Mishkan. And then you have a third uh, phrase introducing a communique between uh, Hashem and Moshe, and that is, He speaks to him before Am Yisrael go into, into the land of Israel. Now, Essentially, what we need to work out is how do all these three uh, introductory statements of communication, um, how do they impact or dovetail with the text of the Torah that uh, you know that 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 we are we are familiar with? So there's um, there's essentially like this: the the Gemara in Masechet Chagiga explains that uh, according to you know according to uh, the accepted opinion that uh, all the details uh, of, of of all the mitzvot were told 
to Moshe Rabbeinu at Sinai, um, then they were repeated again uh, in oil, while he was talking to him through the prophetic um, experience in the oil moe, and then a third time reiterated in uh, Arvot Moav, that's the border, just before they entered into, into Eretz Israel. So according to this understanding that the Torah, the details, all of it was given at Sinai, and then repeated again to Moshe Rabbeinu through the Oil Moed, and then a third time. So what's happening over here, it, it, the opinion needs to be understood such that it's, um, it's teaching us that Moshe Rabbeinu received three different, three different texts of, uh, of the mitzvot. And at the conclusion uh, of the 40 years in the desert, um, Hashem then says to Moshe Rabbeinu, now I know I've communicated to you the same content in, in different ways. Uh, we, we, we're going we're gonna to put it all together now and I'm going to instruct you to create a, a Sefer Torah, a text, which I'm going to tell you out of the three different versions of, uh, of what was said over, we're going to put a, a so-called an, an official version together, and that is going to be um, the Torah text of Am Yisrael that's going to carry them through, uh, you know, through history. So um, this this is a, an understanding that the, the great Chazonish uh, offers us. Um, so in other words, you know, the the Sinai experience is, uh, uh, of course. The, it's the it's the it's the first revelation of Akosh Baruch Hu to Am Yisrael, giving them Torah. But the exact detail um, as to what was given on Sinai, this is uh, debated about um, by the various uh, thinkers as to try and work out exactly what the text you know um, the text was. Um, so so it's like some people believe that uh, the significance of of, of Torah. Um, Sinai is that we uh, are presently obligated, you know, to observe all the mitzvot in the Torah because of the experience at at Mamara Sinai. Now, this is this is uh, Chazal don't see it this, this way. Um, it's it's it does it it's um, the 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 so, the so called uh, evolution with a small e, if you can call it, of of the entire Torah text took took time and eventually is um, is handed over by Moshe Rabbeinu to Am Yisrael fully intact for us to go forward with um, the what you call at, at Arabot Moav just before Moshe Rabbeinu dies and we cross over into, into the land of Israel and um, this theory that the evolved Torah doesn't doesn't look to undermine the concept in any way shape or form whatsoever you know it doesn't it doesn't look to say to somebody that you know at, at, you know what happened at Sinai is uh is something which is 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 not relevant at all no there were there was um Hashem uh, Hashem designed the the mm -hmm. idea of history evolving to meet ethics and mitzvot such that Amishel it took a while before the actual text that we have today was um was 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 fully edited so to speak or ratified for us for Jewish history to continue continue with it and the way you, the way you see it is that when you actually look at the 
at the curses, you know, the threat of Hashem's curses upon Am Yisrael, um, before, you know, Hashem telling us if we don't observe, then, then we're going to be in, in trouble. So you start to see that there were two sets of, there were two sets of curses in the Torah written out explicitly. Now, the first uh, set of curses was in Parashat B'chukotai, and that was um, those curses saying, he has the Torah, and if you don't do it, you're going you're gonna to get into trouble. Um, those, th- those sets of curses in Parashat B'chukotai was, was proclaimed on, uh, on the occasion of the, the covenant that was forged uh, when Hashem gave Torah at Sinai after the Aserita brought were given. Um, and, and that's exactly what the Torah text means. There's the Aserita brought, which, which is the revelation. And then there's a communication to Moshe Rabbeinu. He goes up the mountain for 40 days and Hashem starts to teach him, 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 him Torah. He's uh, either up there for two sets or three sets of, of 40 days. But in the end of the day, the, the, the Torah at that point in time uh, Hashem, the Torah text says, These are all the laws and the statutes that Hashem Atan Hashem Bar Sinai. You know, it, 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 it summarizes that it, that that is the, the that's the Brit, that's the first, so to speak, official um, covenant as far as Hashem Torah and Am Israel are concerned. Uh, that that is communicated after you know Mahmud Har Sinai. Now at at the end of Parshat Kitavo, which is uh, towards the end of Sefer Devarim, uh, there we speak of another covenant, an, an additional uh, covenant. And there, at the, when Hashem, when Moshe Rabbeinu summarizes, you know, all of the laws of Torah, he said the, the Torah says Ale Divrei Abrit. These are the words of the covenant Hashem et Moshe. Which Hashem commanded uh, Moshe, Lichrot et Bnei Israel Beretz Moav to contract in Am Israel, you know, on the on the Jordan border there in in Eretz Moav. But but the telling phrase is the next phrase. It says Milvad Habrit, you know. Uh, besides, in addition to the covenant, Hashem Karatitam Bechorev that Hashem made at um, with Am Israel at Sinai. So that that's that's a Torah, that's a pasuk in the Torah in the Torah in and of itself. So the Torah tells you that there was covenant A, and then there was you know covenant B, uh, a renewing of the vows, uh, lahabdil, if you can if if you can talk about it that way. And um, the question always is, you know, what what did the first second covenant add, um, which wasn't present uh, at at the first at the first covenant? And the Torah actually tells tells it to us uh, in a, it's a bit in, a, in cryptic form, but it tells us in in you know in Parshat Nitzavim, it tells us like that uh, you know all all the neshamas of Am Yisrael were present at at Har Sinai, and 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 all those neshamas there you know would have been affected by Hashem's revelation uh, at at the time, and. Um, the, the, an impression was made on on the on the neshamas of all those there at Har Sinai, and um, and the, the impact that there were certain ethical principles that were so to speak embedded uh, into the DNA of the neshama of Klal Yisrael as a result of that experience. The you know when 
um, when we talk about, there's a Mishnah which talks about that there's certain natural character traits, and unless you mess them up, but there are natural character traits that are uh, embedded in the soul of Am Yisrael. Uh, we are Rachmanim, you know, we are compassionate, um, you know, Baishanim, there's a certain level of bashfulness or, or modesty, Gomlei Chasadim, people who perform acts of kindness. Um, these character traits are, are, are examples of Midot uh, that, um, that were imprinted in our DNA as a part of the, the Har Sinai uh, you know, experience. But um, the impact was basically limited to, the, to those people that are there. So you have you have all the neshamos of Kal Israel, you know, however many people uh, stood under the mountain, they were all impacted by the actual event of of Torah being given at Sinai. But um, that that Brit that covenant was not was not legally binding um, um, on on every neshama going forward. Um, or, or, or let's say it this way, um, the people that were there, um, even though all the Nishomas were there, but the, the Brit of Har Sinai is not legally binding on Nishomas. It's, it's, it's binding on, on the people that were there. Um, so, so, you know, essentially that covenant was between Hashem and all, the, all, all of B'nai Israel that were alive today. But what about all future generations? Every Nishomah you know, going forward, that that weren't alive in a body, that uh, you know, we today who weren't there, and the Shomers might have been there, but as people, we weren't there. So, what the covenant that binds every Jewish Neshama going forward, and obligates us in the observance of mitzvot. The second Brit added added that the second covenant uh, was, um, if it wasn't for the second covenant that was made, then Jewish people today, uh, and, and, and from that point on, who weren't alive at the time, uh, would not be obligated to observe mitzvot if it wasn't for the second covenant at, uh, you know, at Arvot Moab. And that's, that's, the, um, that's an approach to understand what the second covenant added, you know, to the, to the first one. So, you know, this is... Um, this is a sort of a, a more complex understanding of the the nature of the relationship between Amishal Hashem and Hashem Amishal and Torah, and and how um, you know and, and how uh, and how the the, the the covenants were made between us um, at at the time, and so um, this is this is this idea that the there's a there's a kind of I don't want to use it in a negative term, but a, a kind of a, a evolution of sorts within Torah, even though it was, uh, we always talk about Mahmar Har Sinai and Hashem giving us Torah at Sinai. It's all true. The, 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 you know, the written law, the oral law, it's all given at Sinai. But when we say all, you know, what exactly is it? Was, was, was it, was it the, the formulae, the general principles, um, according to one opinion, and then it developed from those general principles. Each time there was a new detail or an additional detail, um, it was then communicated to Moshe Rabbeinu later, you know, at Oil Moed, and then at Arvot Moav, and eventually we were given the complete 
uh, communicate between Hashem and Moshe Rabbeinu uh, in, a, in a way that Hashem wanted it to go forward from there, from there on. Um, always, always, all the details, you know, given at Sinai, every single, every single detail uh, was, was given to Moshe Rabbeinu. But then you have to work out if every single detail was given to Moshe Rabbeinu, then you say, well, how, how does Moshe Rabbeinu get a detail of something that hasn't yet happened? If, if the actual historical event, you know, hasn't, hasn't taken place. So then what do you do? So there, um, what, what we normally, one of the theories that we work with is, uh, is a theory of, uh, of the Natsiv. Uh, he, writes, he writes about it. But it's um it goes it goes back to the days of the Ramban, uh, the days of the Rishonim. But the Ramban also um, uh, develops this theory a lot, and that is that the the nature of Torah and its communication. Um, I can I can I can write you a text where the text looks gibberish to one person, and to a person on a higher level, you know, is intelligible. So let's say Hashem. When, when Rabbi Akiva says that Hashem gave Moshe Rabbeinu all of Torah at Sinai, um, what exactly did he did he get him to write down? What what was the was it exactly Bereshit Bara, or was it or the the first version of text that Hashem exposes to Moshe Rabbeinu is not Bereshit Bara, but it's a or it could have been because. Historically, it could have happened, but the entire Torah is what the Ramban calls an elongated series of godly names, which uh, which which convey how Hashem, uh, you know, relates to us, to the concept of existence, to Am Yisrael, to Torah. But the the way the letters are formed and the words are made are not the same as what you and I read in Bereshit Bara. That it's sort of evolves to get there but the dimensions of Torah start um, let's use the term they start in Hashem's mind uh, in, in, in Kabbalistic teachings when they talk of you know this infinite light um, that, that, come, that, that represents Hashem and then this infinite light is too powerful for any uh, human being or any being for that matter to really uh, apprehend and deal with it's like uh, it's like the light has got so much information in it, it's too powerful. It's a, it's a, it's an expression of godliness, Hashem's essence, which we don't have access to. But that has to be then, if we if we want to understand something of it, it has to be translated. It has to that information which is so powerful has to be humanized. It has to be taken down. Uh, a level in a sense, the level is that human beings have to be able to have exposure to this without burning up. And so in order to do that, Hashem takes it down a number of levels. Uh, each level is there to teach us that great, great scholars uh, or, or great people have to realize that they climb ladders of understanding and dimensions in, in Torah because they go from one level to another. And so that the so-called um, evolution of Torah into a text that we can deal with um, is a fascinating discussion based on uh, Kabbalistic concepts as to how that process 
you know, took took place. But the but the important points behind it, number one, it's to show you that the Torah in and of itself is really a reflection of Hashem's mind. And the process that it takes to get to Am Yisrael is a multi-dimensional process to teach us that Torah study has these varying levels and that people should aspire to be able to achieve understanding and study and grow, you know, through the text of the Torah. But if the Torah was, if the Torah text was uh, fixed at a certain point with the inability to see beyond the text, then you've, um, then you've taken away the ability to see higher levels and dimensions of Torah. And so Hashem, that's part of Hashem's giving Torah to Kal Yisrael, all these sad lessons that are taught, uh, sad meaning the actual, the actual mitzvot and the details. So Hashem demonstrates that by giving Torah over in such a way that it has to be decoded um, and to eventually arrive at a, a lowest common denominator, which is the Torah that, that we have. And this is one of the, the reasons that the Torah text has no vowels in it. We have a, an oral tradition allowing us to read the Torah text, but the actual Torah text itself um, are letters without vowels. And one of the great insights of uh, of uh, of one of the great Acharonim, um is to actually um, make this point clear. You know, he uh, he 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 the Radvaz writes a response to a questioner who asks as to why it's so that the Torah is not uh, filled with the dots. It'd be a lot easier. You know, you open up a a printed chumash, a Tanakh, and you can uh, and you can read it properly because the vows are there. But the vows are part of the oral tradition, the Torah Shabal Peh. Um, but the Torah Shabichtav is written without vows. One, you know, one of his insights is to demonstrate that the letters, when you read them in shul, and when we teach them, are fixed in a certain manner. But when you study them, the opportunity exists to rework the order of the letters, to break down the letters themselves into other letters, uh, to ascribe uh, mathematical values to all the letters so that you can, with those combinations, you can achieve a much greater understanding of, uh, of what Torah uh, is about. And if you fix it um, without allowing it to move, you, uh, you, know, you basically put a... You don't allow the exposure of those dimensions, you know, to uh, to be to be um, studied by uh, by people who are who are willing or, or worthy of studying on that dimension. You know, we always talk of of gematrias, um, which in general we, we are exposed to. How do we how do we say it? When I, when we all know the let, the the values behind uh, the basic letters, so that particular gematria is um is one is only one form of uh of gematria they're they're uh they're so they're, they're quite a different uh, uh, there must be about uh, um, 10 maybe more different um codes of, of gematria of types of gematria that uh that are used um to actually derive ideas from 
from the, the mathematics from the from the arithmetical uh, values of each letter. So we 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 only get exposed to them when you start, you know, when you really get into this kind of thing. But it, it's just trying to show you that um, when you say Torah at Sinai, it's actually a very loaded phrase. It's um, it's it's much deeper than uh, Hashem just giving um, Torah mitz- or mitzvot to to Moshe Rabbeinu. Not not uh, not putting the idea of mitzvot down at all. I'm just saying that it's complex because there's so many dimensions to the fact that Hashem gave Moshe Rabbeinu Torah at Sinai. You know, it's the the Pirkeavot starts off saying that that is a uh, you know a fundamental of our belief. You know, the Mishnah in Masechet Avot starts off, you know, Moshe uh, Kibel Torah Misinai, that Moshe received Torah at Sinai. But um, when you say Torah Misinai, it's, uh, you're making a mistake if you think that uh, Torah Misinai means that the text of the Torah as we have it is the same as the text that was dictated to Moshe at Har Sinai. That's the that's the that's the novelty that the chidush that I'm telling you here that that it's that um it's not the same uh, the content the obligations of mitzvot um the the concept of Hashem communicating to Moshe uh, Hashem is all true and whatever he communicates is true uh, all of that all of that notwithstanding it doesn't mean that there's another different Torah. With the you know shalom. It, it talk it, Torah means the law of Akosh Baruch Hu, Hashem's values, but it's it took it, it evolved for certain Hashem Hashem's providence decided and ordained that Torah uh, or you know evolves in a way um, not that the context not that the content and the principles change, but um, at Sinai the the communication. Uh, the, the communication needs to needs to uh, correlate to where everybody's holding, both spiritually and historically. Um, um, it, it just it it needs to respond to that. So this is a complex idea, but this is why uh, the Torah states explicitly that the text of the Torah is a is a composite, um, you know, of three different communiques three different texts and that's the three um that's the three different expressions by Rabbi Hashem in El Moshe Bar Sinai Lamor by Rabbi Hashem Elav my oil Moed Lamor and by Rabbi Hashem El Moshe Bar Vot Moav those three different um ways of expressing the fact that Hashem gave um Amisrael Torah that that is really expressing uh, this deep idea that there were three different communiques, each had its own unique nuance and impact upon the people of Israel as a whole, and um, and these these covenants, you know, through the communique, these covenants have have unique have unique details, um, and the one I just shared with you uh, is that all. One covenant was for those that were alive at the time, and the second covenant was for all future Jews that um, you know that were to be born, or all future people, uh, or in the Shomers. Um, that 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 second covenant uh, was uh, was uh, added that dimension. 
So there was a Brit Sinai, a covenant uh, forged at, at Sinai, but um, it was it's limited to those people that are there. Um, when we say that all Anishomas were there, it's true. Anishomas were there, and the impact of our Anishomas being there was to receive a, a DNA with, with certain character traits that are definitive as being Jewish. Um, but that doesn't bind our Nishomas today to what happened at uh, to what happened at Sinai. That covenant didn't achieve achieve that. There was a you know that the first the first Brit Brit Sinai had a different objective, um, and, um, and and this is you know this this is part of the discussion as to how to uh, understand you know. When 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 you find people debate, you know what? How did it, how did it come about? They're not debating the, the principle of truth that that Moshe Rabbeinu received Torah at Sinai, and that we can't you know we can't change you know one what we can't change one thing. You know that 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 principle stands, no no question. But what it means, Sinai Sinai is a broader term. Um, for the the revelation of Hashem to uh, Moshe Rabbeinu with the Torah with Torah uh, formulae, Torah principles, and eventually the Torah text that we that we in uh, we inherit. So um, you know this is this is I guess the, the the nature of what Torah at Sinai means. Uh, again, it's not it's not uh, it's not as simple as uh, as as we would have expected. Um, but that's basically part and parcel of this understanding of, you know, when you say what was given to Moshe at Sinai, what did he actually receive? Um, this is this is debated in the Talmud, uh, Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Akiva. This is the the debate that I'm uh, sharing with you, and it's interesting that it's debated, right? We would think that uh, it would be 100% clear, but it's 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 so complex because. It's trying to describe the process by which Hashem takes uh, all of his his essence and communicate. He has to dumb it down. He has to he has to Hashem has to do something uh, in order for human beings to be able to have access to godly values. Um, and that process is just not a simple process. It's not simple because of us. It's not, you know, from Hashem's point of view, uh, Hashem is what he is. There's no, there's no space or time. It's it's there. It's it's it, it, it exists in all its power. Um, but 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 how do you take that and actually make it feasible for human beings to digest some of it? There, it's got to go through all these different um, dimensions and levels, so that eventually. We as common denominator people can live according to it, and greater people can then study and grasp further depths to it by climbing up the ladder um, of these various dimensions that eventually allow people to see the Torah on different levels. They see it on what we call pshat, which is the simple, basic, lowest common denominator level. Then they add remes, you know, which are hints. Uh, and then there's what they call drush, 
derivations, and then there's sod, which is, which is, um, I guess we call it Kabbalah, the you know the highest level of understandings, and, with, and within each level there are there are different dimensions. Um, that's that's a basic understanding of what I can, you know. It's never a one-word answer, you know. I mean, like Rabbi, even Rabbi Akiva, who says that everything was given to Moshe Avinu at Sinai, you know, the the general principles and all the details. From this approach, at least from the Nativ's approach, uh, the Ramban's approach, um, it's true that everything uh, could have given could have been given to Moshe Avinu. But it was given in a way which still needed work. It still needed to be decoded. So it's as if, like, um, how do you write about an event that hasn't happened yet? Well, one could possibly suggest that an event that is to come in history, the actual playing out of the event, that hasn't happened yet. But the a, pro- a prophecy about that event and the values and lessons learned from a conceptual uh, event that can be communicated and if you know how to if you if we believe as we do that the the letters of the torah can be looked at in different combinations to reveal insights one can sort of it's almost as if an event, uh, even though it hasn't played itself out yet, because uh, playing itself out has to then deal with a predetermination, which is very, uh, very tricky. But the concept is available. The, you know, the concept and the lessons to be learned if an event of this nature were to happen, um, that, is, uh, that is available in code. You just have to be able to to work with it. So, if I'm understanding it correctly, that is what um, this idea means: that the names of Hashem are really the you know the makeup of all of Torah. Torah is a, a reflection of all these names, which and names uh, reflect the the essence of of something and uh, express the relationship between Hashem and uh, and us. So if you can get onto that kind of a track, then you can uncover, you know, details that, that yes, will still take place in history, but conceptually will still be alive then, then, all at once, where past, present, and future all converge. So that maybe this is a way of understanding that even though the actual event hadn't happened yet and wasn't predetermined, but the idea behind the event was. Uh, one could one one could say that, you know, uh, when in Pirkavot, when we say Ben Bagomer, he says Kulaba, you know, turn over the soil of Torah um, because everything is in it. You know, the common the commentaries that that develop this line of thinking talk to us about everything meaning past, present, and future. The predictability of ideas is actually within a within a within a text. Um, that is part of, of course, the divine nature of uh, of the text expressing um, expressing Bashem's own uh, dictation, so to speak, um, expressing the 
the, the nature of Hashem being above uh, time, where time has no real impact. It impacts us, but so when you don't have that factor, you can understand that it's it's just there. It's revealed. Everything is revealed, you know, before uh, before Hashem. So we struggle with these ideas philosophically because they uh, they take us to the edge of what it means to be divine and what it means to be human, and the exposure between them, you know. So um, another expression in Pirkei is that, you know, everything is revealed. You know, everything I call Galui, everything is revealed to Hashem, you know, but yet freedom of choice is still guaranteed. Uh, you know, this is, um, these are, how, how do you explain that all? How do you explain that particular principle? You know, so this is the question that every, that we always taught as kids to, to, uh, to start, to start, you know, to, 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 to start being, uh, how do you say, in, unable to solve these riddles you know of, of you know how does Hashem know what's going to be and then we still have free choice it's, it's that that level of mystery I believe is tied up to what I'm saying you to, to you now that um you know it's 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 really difficult to, to live on that on that very very complicated philosophical edge but it demonstrates we, we we're not uh, we're not um uh rendered uh impotent from a philosophical point of view, because we have these uh, massive uh, dilemmas to deal with, we uh, we keep on deriving new insights and and greater understandings as we study more. But in principle, it, it doesn't disturb our belief that you know the, the Torah text that we have was uh, dictated by Hashem to Moshe Rabbeinu, and all we've just added here is that there were a number of dictations. Um, correlating to what was happening historically, uh, you know, driving home a message of varying dimensions of Torah, and for all other reasons that I that I don't know, but it's all it's all um it's all part of this particular package, and uh, you know the, the insights uh, the insights are are amazing as a as a result of that. So um, you know there then there are a number of uh, of halachot, and as I say, we call insights um, that that we derive from from the from this uh, you know particular experience. Um, you know, we you you, you might uh, have heard of this particular uh, rule principle. Um, we we talk of the written tradition, and the, and we talk of the Torah Shabbal Peh, and originally. You know, from the time that Torah was given until the times of the Mishnah, Torah Shabbal Peh was preserved as, as verbal, as oral. It wasn't written down other than in private notes that students of, everybody who's trying to remember what they learned would have their own private uh, notebooks as such, right? But But the actual official publication of a, text to be studied by everybody that only came much later and it came as a result of the inability to preserve Torah Shabal Peh as an oral communication the Gomorrah Gomorrah tells us the rule that you know Torah Shabal Peh can never be written down and Torah Shabal Peh can never be 
said 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 Baal So the Gemara says Dvarim Shibichtav, things that are written, Yatarashai Lomran Malpeh, you can't say them off by heart. And Dvarim Shibalpeh, Yatarashai Lomran Bichtav. Now these halachot are derived, you know, from Mamar Sinai, where Torah was transmitted to the Jewish people. And 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 this this rule is a outgrowth of this uh, of this particular idea that um, just as Hashem gave Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu and to Am Yisrael at that time, so do we transmit Torah now uh, to you know to the to future generations. So there are. This is another example of a halakha derived from the actual experience at Mamar Har Sinai, where Torah was transmitted to to Am Yisrael. And 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 just exactly what does that a carbon copy of what Moshe Rabbeinu was 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 uh, was receiving from Torah? So Hashem was telling him not just the content, but the way I gave it over to you must be the way to for you to give it over to to others. So you know Torah Shabbat must be read from a safer Torah which is kosher, and Torah Shabbat you know should be taught uh, orally. That was that was the kind of uh, um, you know, that was a, another halachic example of another impact of of the actual experience at uh, you know from from uh, from from Torah. Nowadays we don't uh, appreciate so much because uh, it had to be written down because we uh, you know we were just um, too over the you know we 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 just weren't in an environment conducive to preserve Torah scholarship uh, as a result of. Um, the destruction of the Beit Hamikdash and and the exile, etc., and so we we've lost today. We've given up a high level of of, of study uh, for the sake of uh, an accurate uh, understanding of study, um, and and what we gave up is this oral, you know, the nature of the oral tradition, the oral transmission, should I say? And now it's kind of a combination of oral transmission. Based on 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 written on written texts, but um, you know this was the this was the story. Uh, and, you know, just some of the examples that came out. You know, of of uh, of, of this idea, and so um, yeah, this this. Uh, so the question is a a very good question because it uh, it pushes us to explore how we gel with. Uh, the evolving of history, the exact nature of the details, what exactly Moshe Rabbeinu received at, at, at you know, at, uh, at Sinai, how it was written down. You know, the one opinion is that if Hashem is communicating at different times to, to Moshe Rabbeinu through the Oil Moed, after each communique or set of communications, Moshe Rabbeinu would write down another part of the scroll of Torah that we have today, all as one scroll. So if uh, you know he's writing down different scrolls, then eventually when we get to when he just before Moshe Rabbeinu leaves us, you know he puts our, he puts them all together, and um, the time that he puts them all together, it's possible. It's it's it's, uh, it, it's not that he just sewed them together. He rewrote them in, as one text, and um, and that was the gift. Of Torah text that we have today, um, given to given to Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, given from Moshe Rabbeinu to Am Yisrael before he died, and 
before we crossed over uh, to complete the covenant called Brit Moav between Am Yisrael and, uh, and, and Hashem. So it, it is a complex answer to what exactly was given, but the insights are, are deep as a result of the complexity of, uh, of understanding as to how um, all, you know, all godly uh, information is transferred to human beings who are finite through a uh, somewhat miraculous uh, finite but yet finite text but with infinite derivations. That I think is a, a way to say it over as to what as to what we uh, what we received when we received you know uh, Torah at uh, at Sinai. So I think um, yeah that that's basically uh, allows us to understand a little bit as to what as to what it is. So you know going back to our original point, you know the word Sinai, Moshe Rabbeinu sees Torah at Sinai. Sinai. Uh, is debated as to how broad the term means. And, um, you know, Sinai can be Sinai, Oel Moed, or what have anytime Hashem communicates to Moshe Rabbeinu uh, with ethical principles, with mitzvot, you know, all of that, Sinai incorporates all of that. It's more like Sinai means revelation as opposed to Sinai meaning the mountain. So, when you, when you say Moshe, you know, that's one way of interpreting. Moshe Rabbeinu received Torah at Sinai. He received God's revelation. That, and if God's revelation takes place elsewhere, then that's a type of Sinai too. Or you say, no, everything was given to him on the mountain. Bahar Sinai. How do you explain what was given? Well, then that's the complication of, of, of how Torah was transmitted, you know, to, uh, you know, to Moshe Rabbeinu and eventually how it was given to us. Um, yeah, so that's as uh, that's as uh, I, I think a way of approaching as to you know what what was uh, what was happening there. So uh, well, we've uh, I guess we've taken our uh, sheer time on that, but um, in principle, it's a it's a, you know it's a it's a great uh, it's it's a great logical uh, subject to actually uh, to take time to um, you know to uh, to study it. So yeah, that's um, yeah, that's that's the idea. What I really had in mind was to just um, give a you know just give a, a little bit of a background to um, to uh, I would I would say arguably one of the greatest Kabbalists, uh, especially in the modern time, um, the, the Kabbalist that's given the you know the so-called title as 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 the as the godly Rabbi uh, Luria, Rabbi Yitzchak. So that's that, that I wanted to talk about a little bit because uh, he was he was the successor to um, to Rav Moshe Cordovero in our discussion so far, and um, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna try I'm gonna try and see if I can uh, simplify uh, the contribution of of uh, the Arizal as he's known to us. But um, let me just in the little time that we have left, let me just give you some uh, you know basic information. Uh, there's a kind of an irony um, when we look at uh, at Arizal's um, contribution today. Uh, in my mind, anyway, it's a little irony, and that is that um, the 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 world of of the of the of the of the 
Chachmei Sfarad, or the Sfarad, the Sfaradim, when they were exposed to Kabbalah and you know the world, the world of Hasidus that came out of Kabbalah as well. So today, when you wanna, when you pick up a, a siddur that um, that is that is written uh, as you know with the Arizal's teachings or the Arizal siddur himself, um, we we often refer to it as Nusach Svard or, or the Balatanya's uh, rendition of the Arizal siddur. So it's almost like, but the Nusach Svard is like an. This is the irony because. The name of the Arizal, his original name is Rabbi Yitzchak ben Shlomo Luria Ashkenazi. So his full name actually has a title that identifies him as an Ashkenazi Jew, or at least which is right, and that is that he was born as an Ashkenazi, uh, a fully fledged Ashkenazi. His father was Ashkenaz. That's why his name, even the name Luria and the way it's spelt. Lamad Vav Reish Yud Aleph. You know, it's it's uh his name is his name is the name of Luri um is uh is is a representative of a town, um Lorraine, you know, the Alsace Lorraine. That was that that's a that's a the name Luri came from there. So anyway. Even though he, he wasn't he wasn't born in Europe, he's born in Israel. But from from what I understand, let's say the history I think that I have is accurate. But he's born in um, in Yerushalayim, um, and he's descended on his father's side, you know, from Ashkenazim, and that's the name uh, his his predecessors came from from Europe. Um, uh, this is you know. So, so what happens is is that. The sad, the sad part of the story is, is that he loses his father while he's while he's a, a baby. He's, you know, and his, you know, his father had, you know, you know, he's uh, once his father passed away, his mother now has to deal with this, has to bring him up, and they and they have they need a place to, someone has to take them in to be able to allow them, you know, to live. So they, the uh, his mother moves with him. To his brother, to to her brother, and her brother lives in Cairo, in Egypt, and that's where the Arizal um, is educated. Uh, and he 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 he's a Talmud of the famous uh, Radvaz of David Ben Zimra. That that's the that's the 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 response that I spoke to you about now in the Shir about where are all the vowels in the Torah. It's his. He's the one who gives that answer. He was the Rebbe of the of the of the of Rabbi Yitzchak ben Shlomo Luria, who we call uh, the Arizal, the Ari. Uh, the Ari stands for the Aleph is Eloki, the godly uh, Rabbi Yitzchak, Eloki Rabbeinu Yitzchak. That's Ari. So we some we sometimes refer to him. That, you know, he he was a possibly. I don't never. He is, Ari means a lion, so of leadership quality, his his um his contribution is massive. But at least his Talmud education comes from the Radvaz, and then he he uh, he's also um, influenced by Rav Betzalel Ashkenazi. Um, so it's you know as I say, it's interesting. He anyway they 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 col collaborate on 
on on a, on a particular commentary on 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 Shas. Anyway, he's uh, the, the, he's uh, I, I don't know how to describe it other than to say that it's hard to it's hard to to uh, to appreciate how he becomes such a an accomplished uh, Kabbalist. But he so he's he's born in 1534, and you know he's 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 married um, at the age of 15 to his uncle's daughter. So so you know he he's marrying quite close into the family, um, and he study he continues to learn full time. Um, being supported by his by his uncle and so he's got no worries there and he uh he, he spends six years studying with Rav Batalal Ashkenazi and and the just for the sake of completion but the the, the work that we are talking about um Rav Batalal Ashkenazi's it's kind of like almost a it's a running commentary of most of the Talmud it's called the Shittama Kubetzet Anyway, the particular volume that's dealing with Masechet Zvachim is apparently what Arizal worked on him with. But it's in at this particular time, after this time, so you know, we're talking, you know, 1549, and then you know, add, add, add six years to that. Um, so we we're talking 1555, let's say. It's it's this more or less historical period of time which uh is the beginning of the Arizal's in, engagement with Kabbalah on a serious level. Um, so the the history that I've read in, in some of the Svarim that I have, um, the history tells us that he he would he would um he would uh, segregate himself. Like in other words, he had he had this kind of little little shack house um, room which was near the Nile uh, in Egypt. And he would spend the week there uh, in total complete solitude and uh, return home for Shabbos. Um, that's the kind of lifestyle he, you know, he, uh, he developed. And um, I guess that in this period of time, um, he somehow was able to attain, you know, great hearts in the study of, 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 you know, of Kabbalah. And, uh, no one knows how, in other words, who's teaching him. It's all self-made. It's like quite incredible. Um, the bottom line is that, how do I say it without, without saying it, uh, the, the legend, but the legend not in a bad way, but the understanding we, we have from his pupils, uh, recollections of the fact that he would, ha he, would, he, would, he would reach such a high level that Eliyahu Navi would interact with him. And, and uh, through these interactions, his his uh, his understanding of Kabbalah grows to uh, heights that take him, you know, past his predecessors. And the 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 story that we have is that Eliyahu Navi is the one who pushes him to leave Egypt and says to him that the the Torah that he has needs to needs to be taught and the people that need the person who needs to hear it um is in threat and so the it's like Eliyahu telling him 
pack your bags and go. And uh, he tells him that, you know, he's going to meet people in Tzvat who are going to, who are going to be recipients, worthy recipients of his level of Torah. And his main, his, his main pupil, who becomes the main transmitter of all his Torah, is a person by the name of Rav Chaim Vital. So the Arizal arrives in Tzvat in the year 1570. And he goes straight away to, to search out for a Moshe Cordovero. And, um, and they, of course, become Rebbe Talmud, Chavruta. Uh, In other words, they become an item that learn together all the time. But sadly, Moshe Cordovero, you know, dies uh, within six months of Arizal arriving in Tzvat. And, um, but in, those, in, that, in that period of time, the intensity of the study allowed the uh, allowed the Arizal to learn from Ramosha Cordovero and then to be recognized as the, the leading Kabbalist in you know in Tzfat. Um and so uh you know the, the job now remained to Chaim Vital to write down um the Arizal's Torah. And so this is uh this is the person who is responsible for taking the, the Lurianic Kabbalah and, and making it accessible, you know, to us, um, you know, for, for this. Um, there's a, I don't know how to fully appreciate the nature of the story as an explanation, but the Arizal also died young. The Arizal dies at the age of 38. And uh, part of the the story that surrounds his, his, his death at so young an age is because Reb Chaim Vital could not help but um, bring into uh, his learning time with Arizal. He established a circle of people. Arizal was very upset that he he was bringing in people who he didn't think were were worthy enough of coming to of coming to hear this level of Torah. Um, and I don't know fully how to understand it, but the fact that this is this is just written that. Um, you know, his early death was due to the fact that uh, you know that that they revealed it, they revealed the type of Torah to too many people, and it was all because people thought they were ready and uh, or they weren't worthy of of hearing it. Um, anyway, it's just a it's a, it's a a strange kind of anecdote, but you don't only hear it. You know, you hear it about individuals that reveal too much. Uh, or what they weren't supposed to reveal because they couldn't stop, and as a result of it, Hashem Hashem uh, takes them. But how exactly that that makes sense to everybody, you know, I'm not sure, but hundred uh, percent. But it it gives you a taste of what people, you know, the you know the the real kind of uh, I don't know spiritual mystical idea behind these kind of things. Um, I once uh, I I once. Um, Spoke to my Rosh Hashiva Ravamital Zatzal about um, certain uh, principle in Kabbalah, and uh, he told he he told me that uh, Rav Cook, uh, who was also a uh, tremendously gifted Kabbalist, um, said over that uh, his son said it in his name that he suffered towards the end of his life um, because of the things that he revealed and he shouldn't have revealed. Uh, people people write in the introduction to various uh, stories or, or, or bi biographical sketches of great people that reveal too much. We're not sure exactly, you know, from our point of view, I don't know 
exactly what that means and why that should be a punishment. But okay, this is what people say. Um, and yes, the, the the and another story is that the, the Rizal did not publish anything. He didn't. There were no writings. Um, he because when he started to lecture on a topic, that just didn't stop, and there was just no way for him to stop saying over and teaching and learning in order to actually uh, to to write. And um, he basically was one of these I don't know gifted gifted uh, scholars that are just you know geniuses beyond, um, and that all his works therefore had to be uh, given through Reb Chaim Vital. And um, anyway, he, as I say, he dies very, very young, um, 1572, the age of 38, and he's buried in Tzvat. So we'll hopefully next week, we'll continue a little bit to see if I can find um, more, more uh, deeper details and uh, an ability to, to, um, to simplify his uh, contribution in the world, to the world of, of Kabbalah. All right. So I uh, wish you a good week. and. Uh, yeah, take care. Thank you. Reba, thank you very much. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, Thanks, Mel. Thank you.